Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 7. While you're turning there, uh, I would mention that in, in the Christian year, today is considered to be Pentecost Sunday. Now, Pentecost Sunday was based on the, the Jewish uh, Feast of the Weeks, or they, uh, it was really for uh, celebrating the first fruits. But it became really more uh, acknowledged by the Christian church because Pentecost was when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church and indeed fulfilled a first fruits in many ways uh, on that day. Uh, we are moving from Pentecost back to the Feast of the Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, which is where we are. We're going to pick up with the 14th verse in John 7. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, "'How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied?' So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I have come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. 
yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is, which is truth. It's all we can count on when we live in a world where there is so much untruth, so much that contradicts. Thank you that you have given us your word, and Lord, will you give us hearts submissive to it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we began talking about uh, this feast last week, uh, how this feast of the, the tabernacles or feast of the booths was one of the, the big parties uh, the big camp out where they were celebrating uh, the, uh, the exodus and how God was present with them at, at all times as they passed through uh, the wilderness. Jesus made his way into the festival, we saw. He didn't make a grand entrance. It was not the triumphal entry. They want, some of them wanted it to be. His brothers did. But it wasn't time for that. So he waited, and then he went in apparently unnoticed. He saw that he was the, the, the talk of everything that was going on. People were talking about Jesus. And then it says about the middle of the feast, he went into the temple and began teaching. Now here at the, the Feast of the Booths, how appropriate this was. The Feast of the Tabernacles, many called it. If you were here uh, during Advent when we uh, started this series... One of the things that we focused on in John chapter 1 was where it simply says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We talked about the incarnation, God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And, and we emphasized how that word dwelt actually could be translated, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It harked back to the tabernacle that was in the middle of God's people, showing God's presence with them at all times. If ever they were in doubt, if they were wondering, is our God with us, they could look and they could see the tabernacle was there. And in John 1... Deliberately, God used that picture for them and said, Now, 
the tabernacle has come to be among you. And now, during the Feast of Tabernacles, it doesn't record what he taught. I wish it did. I would love to, to see if he talked about how he was fulfilling all of that, but, but God knows better and he didn't see fit to, to record. We just have some of the interaction that is recorded that, that we'll look at. We don't know what he taught but we do know that in the middle of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the tabernacle stood up in the middle of them and began to teach and say, this, this is what this is about. And so, as he taught, we're going we're gonna to look at the interaction of what took place with the people that were there. And, and I think what we will see are some principles about teaching and about learning. First of all, I want us to, to notice here uh, in verse 15, we see that authority for valuable teaching comes from God the Father. It comes from His Word. Authority for valuable teaching comes from God the Father. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So do you get what they're saying? Here, here, this guy is standing up in the middle of the temple. Now, who was allowed to do that, to stand up and, and teach? The rabbis of the day were allowed to do that. Who were the, the rabbis? Who were the teachers? Well, they were ones that were qualified to do that. And those that knew Jesus, they heard him begin to teach, and they said, wait a minute, where'd this guy get his degrees? Where'd he get his academics? What gives him authority to speak? And so that's the first key we need to understand. He says his teaching's not his, but him who sent me. Now, look, we, we know in our theology that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. They have equal power and authority. So Jesus could have very well said, hey, I, I don't need to get authority from anyone. I am the Word. So every time I speak, it is Scripture. But he didn't do that. He pointed back to the Father and to his authority that that's, that is what's necessary and edifying for life. Martin Luther said, this is a necessary principle. In the ministry where the divine word is concerned, Christ's words used here must be followed so that no one preaches any doctrine unless it is supported and buttressed by the certainty that his doctrine is not his own. 
And then he goes on, he says, every member of Christendom should be sure that the preachers, teachers, and pastors know for a certainty that their message is not their own, but the Word of God. In our Vision 2022 statement, we talk about in there our commitment to systematic exposition of the Word of God. And so, if you're visiting with us, that statement basically gives our vision of who we desire to be and so on. But here's what you need to know. Uh, on, on Sunday mornings, and when I stand in here on Saturday mornings and I preach through to you people. You're not here, but I preach to you, and I, I, I can picture you. I know where you sit, so I, <laughs> I know whether you're here or not. But it often occurs to me, you know what, if, if I'm up here giving my opinions, this, the Saturday morning crowd, is what ought to be happening no, nobody should come. Don't come if I'm just giving my opinions. And that's what is being said here. And so we are, we are committed to the, the systematic exposition of the Scripture, and that's why we go right through books of the Bible. That's our ordinary way of, of preaching from this pulpit. It, it has been in the history of this church, and it will be, because we believe that's the only authority that is in this pulpit. It's not in the person. It's not in the preacher. It's in the Word of God, and it's in the author of the Word of God. And then, then Luther is basically saying that every member of Christendom should be sure their preachers and teachers and pastors uh, know for a certainty that their message is not. So you need to be like the Bereans in the Scripture where you, you take your Bibles and you keep them open so that you're sure that I'm faithfully reading and uh, giving exposition of the Word of God. And if ever you question that, it's your responsibility to come and ask me about it or challenge me or talk to an elder here. It's the responsibility, as Luther said, of everyone in Christendom, Christendom all Christians, to do that. And we agree with that here. And you need to know this. I'm not offended when people ask me something about a sermon. Generally, it's kind, but it's okay. And I'm not offended, and, and I always appreciate because that just tells me people are engaged and they are doing what the Bereans did in the Scripture and what is being said here. The second principle we see, to discern right teaching, one must desire to do 
God's will. To discern right teaching, one must desire to do God's will. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Now, that's one of those verses that if, if you're not careful, you could, you could just pass right over that. You could, you could go right by that. But it's an important principle Jesus is giving the principle that I hope will encourage you. And if you're not encouraged by it, it will cause you to search your soul. And that principle is to figure out if it's right teaching or not. You have to be open to God's will. And if you are open to God's will, God will show you. He will give you the discernment you need. Again, one commentator said on that, according to Jesus, the key to recognizing God's truth is not found in a book or taught in a seminary. And we're not opposed to books. We're not opposed to seminaries, obviously. But but that's not um, the key to recognizing God's truth. It is found in our hearts. We say that those who seek to do the will of God will know God's truth when the word is is preached. So here's the point. As we look at the New Testament, we see people either willingly sitting at Jesus' feet and taking in his teaching and submitting themselves to Jesus' teaching. That we see that group of people or we see people getting in his face. And, and shaking their fist at him and saying no. And so the question is, which one will you be? If you want to be discerning of his will, be seeking his will. And then the scripture speaks to hearts. R.C. Sproul said, when there's something in the Word of God that I don't like, the problem's not with the Word of God, it's with me. And you know what? I see things in the Word of God that I don't like. I'm not going to name them for you. Don't even ask me later what, <laughs> what is it you don't like in the Word. But, but I've come across things, okay? But when I do... I assume that I don't really understand this because I've already decided that God always does what's best for us and he communicates what's best for us as well. So whether I like it or not is not the point. It is never the point. Augustine, who... Uh, uh, lived basically by that, the, that rule that whenever he found that he disagreed with the Bible, he concluded that he was the one who was wrong and he submitted to the teaching of God's Word. That's the place to be. So when you, you hit these things, when you're, you're um, doing our reading challenge and you hit something, you go, whoa, that's hard. That's Okay. 
But ask yourself, who's this from? And if you, you are convinced it's from a father who loves you and wants what's best for you in this life and the next, it'll help you grasp it in a better way. There's a third principle here, and that is that God uses those who seek his glory to give truth. I worded that really bad. I decided that yesterday. So here's the better wording. God uses those to give truth who seek his glory. That's not much better wording, but it's a little, it's a little bit better. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. So what did Jesus do? As I said, he could have just pointed to himself. He kept pointing to the Father. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus points to the Father. That's how the Trinity works. So there has to be care taken when you're listening to somebody even who says, open your Bibles and look at this. Let me give you an example. I'm I'm not very good at sitting under other people's preaching. I'm not very patient, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. This, I'm not proud of that at all. But on, when we're on vacation, um, we, always, we always go uh, worship on the Lord's Day, and my children always look forward to it. It was the only time they got to sit with me. And my biggest challenge, well, there's two of them. One is my back doesn't fit well in pews, and so I feel uncomfortable, so I'm, I feel for you. If you're one of those people, if you need to squirm, feel free to do that, okay? There's that, but then the, the other thing is I have to really work at it to just be blessed and not analyze how I would have preached that passage, I mean, I've preached a couple thousand times. And so it's, it's easy for me to look at a passage and, uh, you know, and, and think, well, I, w- I would have gone here. I would have gone there. And that's, that's terrible. That's not a, you, you won't be blessed. And so I'm conscious of that now. And so I really work at it. But you know when I'm really blessed when I'm sitting under another pastor or whether, when I hear them on, on TV or on a podcast or anything like that, I'm blessed not when I walk away and say, wow, he's a great communicator, but when I, when I get to the end of the sermon and I say, wow, what a great God we have. That's... That's when I'm blessed. And and that's what he's saying here. That it's not about the glory of the one who's communicating. That's like 
glorifying your telephone or something like that, or the, the, the message is going through. It doesn't mean anything. But glorifying our great God. Now let me give you a couple of applications uh, with the question, what if I'm still not understanding God's message? Well, it could reflect an unwillingness to submit to God's message, submit to it, or an unwillingness to practice it. In other words, it could be a heart issue is why you're not understanding. Verse 19 Jesus said, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So what what Jesus is saying here is, look, you're so big on the law. He wasn't putting down the law, but you're, you're so big on the law, but you're not keeping the law. You're trying to kill me. Murder is not allowed in the law. So he's, he's basically pointing out their inconsistency, and then the crowd turns on him. They answered, verse 20, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. So by accusing the Holy One of God, who has never sinned and is God himself, by accusing him of having a demon, that's blasphemy. Remember, we... we talked about last week and we've talked about before C.S. Lewis's trilemma. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a Lord. Well, here they're basically saying, you're a lunatic. You're crazy. You've got a demon. Jesus is going to make it clear that they're missing the point. I just want to read you this next section Uh, Start with verse 21. Follow along. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Um, So uh, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken. So here's, here's what's going on. They, They saw the importance of circumcision, keeping the law. They obviously saw the importance of the Sabbath. But they said, it's okay. We, you know, we, we, can, uh, we can circumcise on the Sabbath because it, it takes precedence even over keeping the Sabbath at this point. It's that important. The law is that important. And Jesus is saying, that's how you function. But then he says... And they were proud of that, by the way. But he says, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge by right judgment. So he's pointing to their inconsistency. He's saying, you're so proud of, of uh, circumcising on the, on the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, but you're willing to circumcise on the Sabbath, do this right, You're so proud of that. But when I healed a man, a whole man, you got mad at me. And he's pointing out their inconsistency there. He is 
pointing out their ugly legalism where they wanted to be so precise in this area that they couldn't even see the glory of the miracle that Christ did on the Lord's day. What better thing to do on the Sabbath than to heal? There's a a second thing, and that is there is a need to ask right questions. Verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this man whom they seek to kill? Which, by the way, I, don't you find that interesting? They had just, you know, some in Jerusalem had just said, who's trying to kill you? And then a minute later, isn't this the guy they're trying to kill? You see how crazy that is? How ingenuous that seems? To be. So, verse 26, and here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Now, they're, they're drawing a wrong conclusion. They're saying, wait a minute, he's out here in the open. Maybe the authorities know he's the Christ. That's why they haven't killed him yet. That's the wrong conclusion, but at least they're asking questions. They're analyzing this. Now I want you to skip down to verse 30 because we're going to figure out the the real bottom line here. Verse 30 says, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Whenever you see that, don't just skip over that either. We see that a number of times. But here's what we need to know. That's the reason Jesus wasn't arrested. It wasn't for any other human reason. There might have been human reasons. But the reason he wasn't arrested is because his hour had not yet come. In God's decree, in his plan, Arthur Pink says this, they could no more arrest Christ than they could stop the sun from shining until God's foreordained hour struck and the incarnate Son bowed to his Father's good pleasure. He was immortal. So that's a big comfort to me. And I hope it is to you too. And here's the comfort. Not only is God sovereign over the ministry and life and timing of Jesus' ministry, but he is sovereign over the timing and our lives as well. And that's a good thing. I frequently quote Psalm 139 to people, which, by the way, was in our reading just last week. Psalm 139, where it says, All of the days of our life were ordained before one of them came to be. I quote that to people as I am assuring them that you're not going to die one second before or one second after God has already ordained for it to happen. And that's such a comfort to me. 
because I know when that happens, when my big day happens, it's not going to be early and it's not going to be late. It's when he has already chosen. So what's the right question to ask if we ought to be asking questions? Well, verse 31 says, Yet many of the people believed in him. Why'd they believe in him? Here's, here was their reasoning. Here was their question. When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? You see, they, they boiled it down. Forget about where did he get his scholarship and all these, these other things that they want to throw up smoke screens all. When they thought about it, he said, it's, it's, what, what are we looking for? Let me rephrase the question. If, if Jesus is not the one, what will the one coming do that Jesus didn't already do? The people in Jesus' day answered, these that believed, when they asked that question, well, nothing. He, he is doing what the Messiah will do. He must be the one. So that's where I want to ask you that question. If you haven't received Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, what are you waiting for? What kind of a Savior and Lord are you waiting for? What will that one you're waiting for do that Jesus hasn't already done? This Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he died the death on the cross that we were incapable of dying for ourselves. He had to do it for us. Because his death paid for the sin of those who would trust in him alone for eternal life. What are you still waiting for? Let's pray. Lord, will you let the answer be in hearts today? Nothing. I'm not waiting for anything beyond Jesus. I want to receive him. Will you enable us to do that? We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.